In this episode of Tech Transformation, we're talking with Nicole Nelson, most recently the SVP of Decision Science, Data Science, and Applied Machine Learning at Best Buy. We're talking about lessons for successful transformations, including how to find your blind spots. And we're giving you a sneak preview of Analytics Unite, the three-day event for leading analytic experts in retail and consumer goods. Stay tuned for that and more on this episode of Tech Transformation. Welcome to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News, where we explore the innovative tech strategies and trends in retail and consumer goods. I'm Lisa Johnson, Senior Editor at CGT. In this episode, I'm really excited to be speaking with Nicole Nelson, most recently SVP of Decision Science, Data Science, and Machine Learning at Best Buy. Now, Nicole is here to talk about transformation, both technology transformation and analytics transformation, how they're different, how they're the same, and some lessons for successful transformations at retail. Now, Nicole is also the keynote speaker at Analytics Unite, the three-day summit produced by RAS and CGT for retailers and consumer goods executives. We're live back at the Drake Hotel in Chicago, June 21st through June 23rd. And so Nicole is here to give us a little bit of a sneak peek about what she's going to talk about. So Nicole, welcome. I'm really excited to have you here on Tech Transformation. Uh, Can you get us started by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. And it's such a pleasure to be here and talk to this audience. So thank you for the invite. So most relevant to your group, I have spent 25 years in retail. Um, I was at Target and then most recently at Best Buy. I have spent time um, in merchandising, pricing, e-commerce, what's now known as product ownership, um, but spent about half of my career building analytics teams, putting analytics and data science teams into retail processes and enterprise transformations. As you mentioned, I was most recently um, at Best Buy, where I had the enterprise, all of the enterprise teams around data science, uh, machine learning, and decision science, and recently left to start my own business focusing on data science leadership and transformations. Well, perfect. So let's talk about transformations. Obviously, you're an ideal guest to have on this show. Um, So let's talk about tech transformations and analytics transformations. Um, You've been involved in both. So can you talk a little bit about how they're similar and how they're different? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the big things that I think that tech transformations and data science or analytics transformations share is we call them a transformation, but there's actually big transformation, a big transformation as well as a vertical transformation and then small transformations. And so what I mean by that is a company may decide in general, we are going to become more data driven. That's the big transformation. At the same time, they often are bringing teams together. So that whole data science team is going to be putting in their own transformation. And then every single product or business process that you're changing is its own mini transformation. So there's a lot of complexity in managing these different levels of transformations and the different areas and stakeholders. So that's one big similarity. The second, especially when I think about successful transformations, is they need to be rooted in the corporate strategy or what the corporation is trying to do. Um, I can talk about this a bit later, but because data science and technology transformations can be seen as technical, they can be sort of put apart and on the side. Um, and those that are successful really integrate into the enterprise planning and what they're trying to accomplish. 
And the last one is um, because these transformations tend to involve very technical people, we emphasize the what on the transformation. We think about exactly the process and the task, and we underemphasize the human and the how. Um, and so I think both types of transformation sort of share that bias. And some would probably say that's the most important part. Um, so how can the technology and data science teams work more closely together? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my favorite diagram is um, a Venn diagram that sort of puts a circle of operational or business teams, a circle of technology teams, and a circle of data science teams sort of together where they overlap individually, but there's also this magical middle uh, where business teams, technology teams, and data science are working to really transform the way that things are done. So at a minimum, technology transformations and data science transformations should consider the other team a key enabler. I don't think anyone in this call is going to be surprised when you say for a data science transformation, you have to have your technology team involved. Your technology team is going to help you get flexibility. They're going to help get the tools and the speed and all of the data that my teams consumed was often created by technology. And so the connection between those teams is incredibly important. Um, and that alliance can also bring you know, a lot of synergies and partnership. On the technology side, I think data science um, is probably underused as an enabler. Data science can really help uh, those transformations see where it's going, where it is being effective. They can help find efficiencies with machine learning um, that actually sort of free up resources and let things shift in a way that isn't um, painful. And then finally, data science can help us see the things, hotspots or whatnot, that we don't know. One of my favorite tools um, is data science that is going in the background of a website and is alerting a team when a page is all of a sudden not getting as many hits or as many conversions. Again, that would be a lot of work for somebody to be watching all the time. But the fact that the data science can run in the background and sort of uh, highlight up where we should be looking, um, I think is unused in transformations and really could be taken advantage of more. Right. So these are some great lessons you're providing. Um, you know, you had a recent LinkedIn post that I want to talk about with some more great lessons. Um, you offered six lessons on successful data transformations. It's, it's a really fantastic post. Um, I'm not going to read it here, but I'd encourage everyone who's listening or watching to connect with Nicole in it so they can give, give it a look. Um, but I'd like to dig into a few points. And so one of your points for successful data transformation was to find the sideliners. So this isn't a group that we often hear about. Um, so I Let's talk first. What is a sideliner and how do you know one when you see one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sideliners is one of my favorite groups. So what a sideliner is, is a very influential person in the organization who has decided um, that they are going to wait to see whether you are successful or not before they sort of put their hat in the ring. Uh, you can recognize them in a couple different ways. One, um, they will be vocal about, yeah, I, I support, I think it's important, but it's really not backed up by anything. Um, the other thing you'll notice that in meetings, uh, they won't say much, right? Other people will be talking and they'll just sort of be sitting um, back. 
So that's who they are and how to recognize them. Um, and, you know, I can tell you a, a very, you know, honest favorite story I have in this last transformation at Best Buy, right? We had brought all the teams together and we're starting to sort of build that enterprise uh, view. And there was one particular stakeholder who there was a conversation about whether parts of his team should join or not. And so I ended up on a very late phone call um, with him. And he said to me, you know, Nicole, like, I, I, it's great what I think you're doing. You know, I just don't think that there's much in my area that really, you know, that, so like I'm here, but, you know, I don't think there's that much. And so what I said back to him is I said, look, you are one of the most important people in this org. If you don't believe or think there's value in what we're doing, like, this is a problem. Um, I really need to understand um, why. Um, because, you know, frankly, if you aren't bought in, we got to go find a way or someone else, you know, and I even offered like, we should go get someone you are bought in on. Um, and A, I think that level of sort of honesty surprised him. Um, Being very candid. Yeah, but it did give us this conversation where all of a sudden he did open up um, with what he was concerned about and sort of um, said things that had never been said before. So it was a scary conversation to have, um, but I honestly, you know, we'll talk about why they're useful. You, the things that nobody says in a meeting room, a sideliner might tell you one-on-one. The other thing about sideliners is when you think about detractors and supporters, it takes a lot less energy to move a sideliner to a supporter than a detractor to a supporter. So if you're being strategic about... They're already halfway there. Yep, exactly. So if you're being strategic about your energy and time, um, they can sort of weight the cards for you um, without the same amount of energy that it might take to take a, get a true detractor over the line. Um, another point you had was insist on shared goals. Um, this you know, sounds like a given, but if it was a given, then you wouldn't have listed it as advice. So I share a little bit why they're important, but really, why is this so hard for some companies and teams? Yeah. Um, so again, I will actually go back to a story. So when I was at Target um, and we were putting together our first, uh, I'd actually come back from maternity leave and the technology team was trying to put together a, a, a case for an enterprise data warehouse which is an expensive thing. Um, and they just weren't getting it over the line. Um, it was sitting there. And so I came back and was kind of given the job of to figure out how to get, <laughs> how to get support for this thing. Um, and so what we did is we actually expanded the view of it. So we brought in business teams um, on the data science initiatives we wanted them to do. We brought in the data science teams um, on what they, they could accomplish. And we build a, built a shared business case between technology, data science, and business. Um, and, you know, ended up going to the executive committee. And for the very first time, they um, gave support. And we even did it in a very interesting way where we said, we're not going to give you the normal five-year NPV. Um, we're going to give you a range because we're going to do 10 things Seven of them are going to work out. Three of them aren't. We don't know which ones they are, but we'll come back to you yearly and we'll tell you about which ones are working and which ones um, they weren't. 
So I bring that up in with shared goals because it was this great experience about these teams actually sitting down and truly coming up with a set of goals that everybody was tied to. So, you know, I think you asked um, why it's important. You know, three things come to mind. Um, one, shared goals enable you to have conversation about trade-offs that you wouldn't normally have, right? You know, everyone knows if someone's cutting costs while the other one's trying to go revenue, you can go sideways. Having them together can actually mean the person who's cutting costs is taking a second and saying, wait, are there implications to this that I need to talk about? So that's one really good part of it. We talked about keeping everyone on the same page. The third part, and when I think about that, you know, first business case, it actually means you know what's important to everybody from the beginning, right? You're not finding out two to three months later of like, oh, they're actually, you know, under pressure to cut costs by 15%. You're all on the same, you're all on the same page right from the get. Right. You've, they've shared that now. So you're not dealing with sort of like small cuts and then it getting illuminated later. So that's why I think it's really important. Um, and, you know, we all say it, it's easy. It, the reality is the reason we don't do it is one, it takes time, right? You have to sit in a room and have these conversations. Secondly, it's less clear, right? You know, if I am in my silo, my function, and I'm, you know, evaluated on what the prices are, I don't have to worry about everything else. This is less clear. Now, when I'm back at my desk, I have to think about um, more. And the third part is it does, you know, historically, we have operated in silos. We're used to it. We have behavior patterns there. So it gets you, it, people have to come out of, off of their default um, of what they are used to and the goals that they just sit at their desk at. And that can be, um, you know, that can be a real process. Um, the last thing I want to mention about shared goals um, is it is a stumbling block that I think we've hit to, which is giving it a bad name. And that is specifically that shared goals mean that there's no autonomy for the teams. And I would actually say, right, that is an example of shared goals going awry. Shared goals means everybody can go. It doesn't mean we're all doing the same job. Right. My technology team is not trying to do data science. I'm not trying to, you know, do my business team job. It is instead saying everyone has a role that they're awesome at and we want them to go do that. But they understand the big picture so they can reach out when there's something that might conflict from a different goal. So it isn't about people spending, you know, decades in the same room <laughs> together. It is about a short process that leads to clarity and that lets people go back to their um, desks and do what they're awesome at and not try to do each other's job, but know how it impacts. Let's, I just want to dig in a little bit into, you're talking about silos, talking about uh, lack of clarity. One of your points was knowing your blind spots. Um, you know, again, something probably everyone is aware of, but it's not commonly discussed. Um, so how can leaders identify their blind spots and, you know, how can they help teams identify their own? And once, and then, you know, once they've identified them, what's the work they need to do to move past them? Yeah. So I think, um, you know, we all, uh, we say that we all know our blind spots or accept blind spots. 
but I still think there's a lot of us out there um, who are thinking we're supposed to be better at everything. That's why we got the big job. So I think the most important thing for a leader is to let go of that pressure, right? You did not get your job because you are better at everything than everyone else. Um, since I'm a data scientist, right? Statistically, that's impossible. So that's super helpful. <laughs> but Put it into numbers. Right, you know. Um, but leaders still feel like their teams are looking for them to know everything. So there's just something about letting go of that pressure. Um, one. Secondly, in terms of how you know them, you know, there's a couple things. One, most organizations, they do have, you know, team feedback, peer feedback, 360s, performance reviews. Um, so go back, pull them out over the years. Um, you know, one of the most painful or good experiences I had once <laughs> is I pulled, you know, a performance review that was 10 years old and there were still some themes on it. I was going right? to say, was it like you know? reading for a different person or no, no, still some stuff you had to work on. Yep. Um, and you know, what I'll say about that is it, it shouldn't surprise us because each level you go up, right, the expectations are going to go higher. So it doesn't mean you didn't make any progress. It says the game has changed. Um, but so sit down with those areas of feedback and really read them. And, you know, I would say two things. One, note what they are, but also note the feedback you feel isn't right um, or that you are less <laughs> on board with, that may be a really good signal of a blind spot, right? Because you're like, oh, that's not me. Um, so you can have a conversation with the person to hear more. And it's not always right. You know, sometimes there are other contexts that put a feedback out there. Um, but what you like to think about yourself the least may actually be what you're avoiding. So that's one way. The second way is in the article. Um, I talked about a specific framework because uh, it is related to transformations. And that is Bowman and Deals, sort of frames of an organization. So you can take frameworks, uh, whether it's something like that or something you know, like StrengthsFinder, and read them and see which ones you gravitate to and which ones do feel less natural or even, you know, icky to you. That's going to be, you know, the Bowman and Deal talks about those frames and they're symbolic and political and human resources. You will probably have a reaction for what you like or when you think about successful transformations that you've been a part of or had, you know, happened to you. What was most important to you? Did you need to see the vision? Did you need to understand the processes? There are ways you can recognize it. So that's all a lot in discovering what they are. What do you do with them? Um, you know, one, you can ask for, uh, think about your leadership as a collective piece of you and your team, which means if they're good at something and you're not, they can take a stronger role. So start thinking about your team as a total group um, and how you can use those pieces um, together. You know, if it's something, um, it also takes dedication. Get an executive coach, outside perspective. Someone will help you stay accountable um, and keep checking in with those frameworks. Say, all right, have I done a really good, have I done a good job of symbolic? Um, so I think that's the uh, other thing. And the last thing I will really encourage people um, is change the way you hire. 
It is mm. so easy. Very, very timely. Yeah. Right now, given but it is true. Yeah. We all know we've been into conversations, right? You go in, you start connecting with somebody and you're like, yeah, yeah, this is really, instead of taking that as a sign of a great thing, pause. That may mean that they're just like you, which might not be advantageous to the team. So start thinking about, you know, um, what don't I have that I should be looking for? And if I'm in an interview, you know, and it's not going in this smooth, you know, way, maybe there's something there that that person is going to bring that's going to advance the team. Um, you know, and so I can think about my last draft report group and they were all very different for me. And sometimes that meant that our staff meetings were a little longer, um, than <laughs> if we all were in agreement, right. And, you know, I, there were times yeah. when I probably was like, you know, I would, you know, like, let's just, but I honestly, truly believe we got to better solutions because they had different perspectives and they knew that they were hired and supported for those different perspectives. So I imagine if your advice is applied it's from start to finish, it's, it's expected to be a very humbling process um, and, and it should be. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say yes and no. I think humbling says to me, right, that you were up here and now you're down here. And I think in general, we as leaders, the world would be a better place if we came at it saying we are enough where we're at. Doesn't mean we're not going to get better, right? But that it's not a knockdown to discover something about ourselves to improve about, to just say, I am forever on a learning journey and cycle and I'm great, you know, good at what I do today and there's stuff I can get better at. And so, you know, I would just encourage people to not think about it as humbling, but more about an invitation to understand that you are always growing. The company you are in is always growing. Um, and so it's just a process that's natural and continuous. That's great perspective for our audience. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about Analytics Unite. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the event, it's being held June 21st to June 23rd. We are live at the Drake Hotel, back at the Drake in Chicago. Um, and so, Nicole, you're our keynote speaker. You are going to be presenting under our event theme of accelerating growth, talent, and innovation. Um, so first, is this going to be your first year at Analytics Unite? Um, I think it is my first time. I'm not totally sure because I've been to other RAS conferences, but yes, I think it is going to be my first time. Yes, it, it did used to be held under the, the name of uh, RCAS, the Retail and Consumer Goods Analytics Study. So it is possible you were there. <laughs> um, I, I will say this will be my first time live. I've been with the company for about two and a half years now, and we've been doing them remote for the past few years. So I'm really excited to get to meet all of our audience live in person. Um, so can you give us just a little bit of a sneak peek about what you're going to talk about for your keynote? Yeah, absolutely. So it is the theme, Accelerate Growth, Accelerate Talent, and Accelerate Innovation. Um, so what I'm going to be talking about is, one, um, so I got to bring an enterprise team together in the pandemic um, at clearly one of the most dynamic times for retail. So it's going to be a bit about what I learned during that process. 
um, but also about one of the uh, smartest and different difference makers we made, which is getting analytics into strategic planning. Like literally, you know, every meeting with that executive team and sort of flipping analytics and data science just from measurement and sort of operational to truly a strategic function. So I'll be talking a bit about that and how that changed what we did in stores and our pandemic, and then other tips and tricks on talent, since it's an extraordinarily difficult environment out there, um, and my thoughts on innovation. So the event uh, brings together retail and consumer goods executives for three days of uh, the opportunity to network with and learn from leading analytic minds. Um, So what are you looking forward to most to doing or learning at the show? Yeah, um, probably like a lot of people, um, I'm really looking forward to being back in person um, and seeing people live. The other thing um, I always take away from these conferences is... um, that nobody has it all together and it is always use. I mean, literally, right? Like I've sat next to, you know, executives at Google talking to me about, you know, their data and you think in your head, well, wait a minute, if you don't have this figured out, like, um, (laughs) so it is so refreshing and there is so much learning in just sitting with other people who have your similar job in different industries and look at things and just talk about the reality and what worked and what didn't. Um, so it's, it's an incredible chance to kind of learn from others, um, and really, uh, just share. Great. So we have some closing questions that we're going to run through a little quickly. Uh, they're all under the event theme, Analytics Unite theme of accelerating growth, talent, and innovation. So there's three of them. So, okay. So number one, what is your favorite innovative product that you've been using recently? Yeah. So um, I have a treadmill with um, the new iFit, which is like the adjustable. Uh, so I've recently learned it's got Smart Adjust to hook it up to a heart rate monitor. Um, so the difficulty of the workout will actually change based on my heart rate. And I have found it as an incredible way to keep myself from being lazy, um, and challenging myself (laughs) and going faster than I, you know, would have naturally. Uh, so I just love the combination of sort of function, uh, data science and, uh, pushing myself, uh, by combining the two products together. I'm going to guess having spent the many years at Best Buy, your house is probably filled with some really great consumer technology. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So number two, if you could accelerate one part of your life, what would it be? <laughs> uh, I decided to go very honest with this one. Uh, I have a 15-year-old son that we are teaching to drive. And so if I could accelerate that process, I think oh. that would be the most delightful thing uh, in my life. I right also now. have a 15-year-old son and I we're not there yet. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds like a great answer. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Um, okay. So third and final question. Uh, what, where is one area of growth that you would like to improve? Yeah. Um, I was going to say it is funny because it's probably related to that performance review I saw 10 years ago. Um, I think uh, patience and pacing is still something I am working on. Um, I have, I am super curious and excited about a lot of different things and uh, think, you know, my team would tell, my team would tell you, you know, always thinking like we can do more and more and more. And so 
reining my own expectations in and focusing on, you know, a few things and really moving the bar far and saying, I got, I got time. I can get to those other interesting things later. Um, is something I'm still working on. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thank you for joining Analytics Unite. Uh, really looking forward to meeting you in person um, and, and watching your speech. Um, I encourage anyone who's listening or watching, visit analyticsunite.com to learn more about the show and to register. And for now, thank you, Nicole, for joining. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'm just excited that you guys have put the podcast on transformations because it really is such an important part of both worlds. Well, hopefully we can do a follow-up episode sometime in the near future. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Tech Transformation with CGT and RIS News. Be sure to subscribe to learn more innovative strategies and trends in the retail and consumer goods industries. And don't forget to visit RISnews.com and consumergoods.com to sign up for our newsletters. Mm-hmm.